A joint military command known as Task Force Civil Support maintains a 24 by 7 readiness. It's there to help local and state authorities in the event of a chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear event. Seaburn. And for an update, Navy Captain Brian Cochran and Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Ron Greenway join me in studio. Good to have you both in. Thank you for having us. Hey, it's great to be here. Give us a little quick backgrounder on this unit. It's not that well known. You're out of Newport News. Yes, sir. Um, we are out of Fort Eustis, Virginia, uh, which is in Newport News. We maintain a prepare to deploy order for 24 hours. Um, so we are ready to go at a moment's notice to help Americans in their need for for rescue or support. Give us a sense of deployments versus exercises because you do both. We have two main exercises per year. One is called sudden response and one is called vibrant response. Sudden response occurs in January of every year, and vibrant response occurs in April or May. Uh, vibrant response is our certification exercise. Lieutenant Colonel Greenaway, you are the medical guy for this unit. Tell us how that comes into play. You know, we have a, a wide array of medical capabilities at Joint Task Civil Support, and that is what we believe would be one of the greatest needs. Our mission is to save lives and mitigate suffering when directed in support of civil authorities. Yeah, because once, I guess, a situation potentially is buttoned up physically, then you have the real issue is who's hurt, and especially, I would imagine, in radiation events, you've really got some problems. Absolutely. There's a lot going on at one time. In a nuclear detonation scenario, you'd have kinetic injuries, you'd have radiological injuries. We would want to get folks out of harm's way and get them into medical care as soon as possible. Recently, you did some support for some big-ticket events public events where, frankly, terrorists would like to maybe have an impact, like the Super Bowl. How does that work? We maintain the joint planning augmentation cell. We maintain a capability to send two of those out at any one time. Um, and, and, they, and they typically support national special security events, uh, such as the Super Bowl, uh, the State of the Union. There's a whole host of, uh, of regularly scheduled events. Uh, the World Boy Scout Jamboree is another one that we support. We maintain these relationships, uh, and, and the relationships are very important because we don't want to be exchanging business cards at the time of the disaster. We also have the interagency planning cell, which is another way that we maintain these relationships. It's a group of uh, individuals that go out and they routinely interact with FEMA, with the defense coordinating officers who are broken up into the 10 regions uh, that, that FEMA is broken up into. And we regularly engage with them in exercises um, in, um, in planning efforts as well to make sure that we, we maintain those relationships. Sure. And how about relationships with the other armed services? Because if an event were to be big enough, you might have the National Guard and different reserve components, perhaps, of the armed services come in. Yes, sir. So Joint Task Force Civil Support is, um, is basically a command and control element. The Defense Seaburn Response Force is broken up into four task forces, um, there's Joint Task Force Operations, there's Joint Task Force Medical, there's Task Force Aviation, and there's Task Force Logistics. Those units rotate out on an annual basis every June. And, um, and so the, there is a – obviously Joint Task Force Civil Support is made up of Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines – um, and, and, and the joint task forces that work underneath the joint task force civil support are also made up of different services. So there is a, there is a, there's a relationship built up there that we have to maintain as well. We're speaking with Navy Captain Brian Cochran and Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Ron Greenaway of the Joint Task Force Civil Support. Give us a scenario. What would it look like, say, if you are doing an exercise and what do you tend to focus on? How does it work? what components come in, and especially how you relate to the state and local components that might be responding. 
Well, we use a national planning scenarios uh, for for the guidance for for exercise design. So um, the 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 exercise planning scenario that we typically um, typically or plan to is a nuclear device, a detonation of an improvised nuclear device. Um, so that we are always going to be in support of the lead federal agency or we. we we in the military, we're used to coming in there and being in charge, but that's not going to be the case in this instance. We are going to be in support of the lead federal agency. Most likely that's going to be FEMA, but it could be any other organization as well. But you bring expertise that they may not have. Yes, sir. And some capacity and some capability that they don't have. And and so that's why we have to maintain our our, our readiness to deploy in 24 hours. Because anywhere in the U.S. That, that, that this event could happen, we have to be ready to go out the door. And Ron, you as the medical top guy, your people would be interacting with EMTs, possibly local uh, non-governmental medical responders. That can get complicated, I imagine. Absolutely, it can get complicated. And that's one of the things that uh, we have a, a very capable staff that look at how we could integrate all those different agencies into a unified response. Captain Cochran was talking earlier about building relationships. That's one of the primary ways that we do that. And we go out and we find out who's likely to be responding and how we can best integrate our capabilities into their capabilities to take care of Americans. And who does actually call the Joint Task Force uh, support? Does it come from other federal or state and local entities? Or how do they know about you and how do you know to go somewhere? We are OPCON to NORTHCOM. We, the, the, OPCON has been delegated to our north. Um, so in the, in the event of an incident happening, we're going to take our orders from, from our north. In the event of an incident, so the interagency planning cell is going to go to the, the initial operating facility at first, and then um, it'll later become the joint field office. And they're going to interact with the, the defense coordinating officer staff. So is the incident commander, is the requirements exceed the state and local ability for the incident commander to respond to it? It's going to come up through the state coordinating officer. It's going to come over, and the defense coordinating officer is going to say, okay, what services, what do we have to provide to them? And, and it'll probably come to, to a joint task force civil support, and we will provide that support, whatever they need. So the interagency planning cell has a key role to maintain the relationships before the disaster happens. And then once the disaster does happen, they play a key role in, in coordinating with the state and local authorities for the capacities and the capabilities that we can provide to them. And how many people do you have in total and where are they located? They're not all in Fort Eustis. If something happens in Portland, Oregon, you don't want to have to have people dispatch from Fort Eustis. It's about a 160-person command, the Joint Task Force Civil Support. But in the event of an incident or a disaster, we get augmented to about 330 with all the enablers that we have that come on board as well. The bulk of those those are going to be responding out of Fort Eustis, and that's why we maintain a 24-hour PTDO. Ron? Captain Conger is absolutely right from Fort Eustis into the headquarters, but we've got 5,200 within the Defense uh, Seaburn Response Force that we command and control and bring in other units that are in the area as we uh, go forward and operate. So, you know, those are the, the folks that we build those relationships with. And you're right, they do come from multiple locations, and that is one of the uh, the bigger planning issues that we try, try to solve is the fact that we know where they're coming from, but we don't necessarily sure. know where they're going until we have to send them there. Yeah. So that's one of the yeah. things that keeps us up at night. Yeah. So that, that the 5200 DSERF, so those are broken up into the four task forces that I mentioned before. So task force, Joint Task Force Operations, Joint Task Force Medical, Task Force Aviation, and Task Force Logistics. Those units come from 30 different locations across the United States. Every place from, you know, 
Washington State to Texas to Florida to New York City. So, so basically, you have people within helicopter range of where you might need to be. Yeah, yes, sir. And, and and the and the fact that they are going to be arriving, some of them are going to be driving, some of them are going to be flying, and 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 you can never know what they're going to be until the incident happens and where and and you know where, where the location is. So that's that, that's uh, something that uh, that we see is, is synchronization in the deployment phase of the operation, um, synchronizing of the arrival of all those forces and getting people to work, helping Americans save Americans' lives. That's really where the art of it comes into play. Navy Captain Brian Cochran and Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Ron Greenaway are members of the Joint Task Force Civil Support based out of Fort Eustis near Newport News, Virginia. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Thank you. Find a link to more information and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.